0: do do do
1: okay just give me a talking talking talking
0: talking 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 did you miss the sound of my voice An engagement wasn't elephant sorry that was gonna be that's my new oh yeah oh yeah i missed it i was feeling uh i was really excited to record this morning
1: i know me too it's been so long
0: you hit record didn't you
1: i did hit record
0: i can tell (laughs) that's the lauren recording voice we all (laughs) know welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the show that explores the lives and works of 18th, 19th, and 20th century women writers you may
1: or may not have heard of. I'm your host, Hannah Chapman. And I am your other host, Lauren Burke. And it's season three. Guys, it's season three. What happened? We're back, bitches. We are back. And um, we're starting off with a read-along, Wives and Daughters by Elizabeth Gaskell. It's our first read-along of the year there will be several this year I hope you guys are ready to read um the other two um Mansfield Park in July and Agnes Gray later on in the fall very excited for those and there are also going to be some like short reading assignments in between so
0: assignments
1: yeah I know homework, You're gonna get, Is
0: in homework? Pop it's quiz. homework
1: you know what though if you make it to the end of the season We will send you a certificate of completion. Um, It's just as good as a master's degree.
0: Yeah, it will get you a job. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm excited for the books that we're doing this year because we've started off with our gal, Elizabeth Gaskell. We're talking about Molly. Then we're going to move on to Mansfield Park. Fanny, we've already got some kind of Mansfield Park wives and daughters feelings going on in the comments of this read-along. And then we're moving on to a Bronte. So we're really going back to our roots this season.
1: We are. And I feel like all three um, protagonists just, you know, they they share some similar qualities that we will be discussing throughout the year. So, yeah. All right, guys. Shall we get started? Hey, Lauren, give me some facts. Give me some lily facts. I know you missed these lily facts. I know you really wanted them in here. Yeah. Okay. so I just want to tell you guys a little bit about Elizabeth Gaskell. Um, in case you missed our north and south read-along last year and you don't how know who you? this gal is, how could you have done that? Come on. But um let's let's get into it a little bit. Elizabeth Clegghorn Stevenson, born on September 29th in 1810. So this means she's about the same age as our heroine in Wives and Daughters. So oh, I, I didn't, thought that wasn't make
0: that connection.
1: Yeah, I think it's something that's um it's kind of important to think about as you're reading mm-hmm. the book. And um, the mysterious narrator, who I'm sure we will we will talk about, probably about the same age. So she's kind of like looking back on her youth. The book came out in the 1860s. So we're looking about back about 30 years. Okay. Um, Lizzie's mother came from a very prominent Unitarian family, as many of you know. Um, they were connected to people like the Wedgwoods and the Turners and the Darwins. And we're going to talk about... Darwin, um, probably a little bit this episode, but definitely next episode. Lizzie's mother died when she was thirteen months old and she was sent to live with her aunt in Knutsford, Cheshire. And those Up of north, you who are
0: making those connections, yes, Nutsford is probably Hollingford. Yes. Hollington.
1: Hollingford. And Cranford as well. Like I just very similar. Like this what book is also happening? is giving me Cranford feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth's father remarried when she was four years old, but um, she remained in Knutsford with her aunt and then later was sent away to school. So didn't have a ton of like family time with the stepmom, but, you know, she was around. Um, Let's see what else. Elizabeth had four daughters that survived with William Gaskell. So we got Marianne, we got Margaret Emily, Florence Elizabeth and Julia. Very interesting fact here, she kept a parenting journal, which was something I was trying to remember while I was reading Wives and Daughters, but then I kept getting her confused with Louisa May Alcott's dad who also <laughs> kept a parenting journal, <laughs> cuz I was like, no, that was LMA's dad. But they both did it. So she kept this journal very very in fashion right now too, guys. Um that sort of tracked the development of her daughters, which I find interesting because as you're reading this book, you're like, oh yes, this woman, this woman had daughters. <laughs> Yeah, she knew what was going on. She definitely did know what was going on. Wives and Daughters, an Everyday Story, which is the full title. Um, it was her last book. It was serialized in Cornhill Magazine from eighteen August 1864 to January 1866. Um, quick fact, Cornhill Magazine was founded by George Murray Smith, who is also known as the inspiration for Graham in Charlotte Bronte's Villette. And it was edited by Thackeray, who was Charles Dickens' like big rival at the time. So we always like associate Gaskell with Dickens and him being Thackery. her editor. Got some Thackeray going on here. And all of the original illustrations that appeared in the magazine uh, were done by George DeMarier, so grandfather to Daphne. And if you guys want to look at those, they are on Project Gutenberg. Um, you can find all the original illustrations there. And they're they're pretty good. So, all right. (laughs) Not super impressed. Um, The novel was never finished because Gaskell died suddenly of a heart attack in 1865. And this is while she was visiting the house that she was uh, purchasing in secret for her and William. um, And that happened to be just down the street from Jane Austen's house. So, let me get this straight
0: Hmm. because I haven't finished the book yet. Mm -hmm. I've got a couple of chapters left. Does it have an ending?
1: Um, we know what's going to happen, but it doesn't have a true ending, no.
0: Okay, well, I'm glad I've been emotionally prepared for this, because <laughs> after the let <delight> ending, <laughs> I've, I've been lulled into, like, a very safe place of this book.
1: Yes, it feels very safe, doesn't it? And then it's, like, it's going to be tragic. Oh,
0: oh no I almost read the last page as well because I thought things might happen and then maybe I needed to know about it for this recap and I thought no just let it let it be true Hannah
1: like don't skip ahead and now it won't be that tragic you'll figure out where it's going but it's, it's sad it is sad that she didn't really get to put it down on paper it's just like a like that Amy Sherman Palladino lost season of Gilmore Girls. We'll never know what the real ending was. Huh? We,
0: we never need to know what the real ending of Gilmore
1: was. <laughs> Fair enough, honestly. Fair enough. So um, this week, here's how we're going to break this down. We are going to discuss the first half of the book, the characters, and a lot of your amazing comments. You guys are really bringing it this year, and I love you all for it um but first shall we try to recap this story this is going to be really hard
0: it's going to be really hard um i avoided writing the nutshell for this just because you know that when we did our north and south breakdown your nutshell Mm -hmm. would be like a page and then i'd be like and here's 18 pages on chapter 10
1: It's so hard. I mean, it's 60 chapters. It's serialized. Every chapter is just like another episode of television. There's a lot happening. There are a lot of characters. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Help me out, Hannah. Here we go. In a nutshell, is this the story? <laughs> <laughs> Wives and Daughters follows the young life of Molly Gibson, the daughter of the hot Scott widowed doctor, Mr. Gibson. The pair live in Hollingford, along with a very large cast of supporting characters who we will discuss. The book really seems to kick off when Mr. Gibson becomes aware of the fact that his pupil, Mr. Cox, wants to marry Molly. Oh, so- you've
0: already... No. Lord. I've skipped quite a few things. <laughs> I'm just getting my book. Wait. <laughs> oh, no. I don't want to okay. get
1: every chapter away. No,
0: we- we're not going to. We're going to go... Come with me back in time.
1: Mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. start
0: with we start with Molly when she's 12.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Molly's a young girl. There's this big stately home. The family are called the Cumnors. They're really involved in the town. And once a year, there's this big thing where the women of the town and the young ladies can go to the house and have a poke around. It's kind of like the family's way of doing some community outreach. Right. And Molly gets invited this year. And she goes and she gets separated from the group and she's kind of taken care of by this very pretty woman called Claire. And then she spends this awful night at the towers that she doesn't enjoy. (laughs) And then she goes home and she's like, thank God that's over and I never have to deal with this shit again. Right. And then suddenly she's old and Mr. Mm -hmm. Gibson becomes aware that Mr. Cox wants to marry her.
1: And he's like, no way. I'm sending you off to the Hamleys. Squire Hamleys. Which is another family. And there's mm-hmm. like an ancient rivalry. Yes. The Whigs and the Tories. Whigs and the Tories. And I mean, Squire Hamleys' family has been there since Queen Anne's time. My God, show it some respect, people. Um, so she's going off to stay with the Hamleys. They have two sons who are away at Cambridge. Um, they had a daughter who passed away. And um, Mrs. Hamley is a London gal, daughter of a merchant. They had a a fair amount of money that was put into the estate. But her and her husband are very, very different. He is like outdoorsman. He's always out and about running the estate. uh, She's very down to rustic. Thank you. She is uh, she's an invalid. What is she dying of? Well, she's not. She's not really like, you know, She's not like super
0: dying right. She's like been yeah. it's kind of like, like a little this bit dying, guys. like not the whole
1: time. No, not the whole time. She's but... like
0: got that like kind of fashionable like sickly I'm going to like sit around in my house that you know later on other people try and mimic, right? Yeah, and, then, and... and so it's hard because that kind of hides the fact that she is actually like a little bit dying and then yes. suddenly gets very ill. Because one and of her sons returns in,
1: in shame and scandal. It's a true story. So Molly's over there, she's become a companion. Really. Another um, daughter. They call her Fanny. Yeah, yeah. They call she her by a Christian name. Their adopted daughter, essentially, uh while Mr. Cox is over there going, Oh sorry. Well, Mr. Mr. Gibson, I almost said Mr. Preston. Too many misters. While well, Gibson. <laughs> is over there just like, hey, what do I do with this uh, teenage daughter? He's like, I've got a teenage
0: daughter. I've got too many, too many boys in this house. I Mm -hmm. need to like get a stepmom situation going on so that I can keep her under control. So he sends her off to this Hamley house and is going to get secretly married.
1: Yeah. And then he finds a wife like right away. (laughs) It's the woman from before. Yes, it is the woman that took care of Molly when she got ill at this house party years ago. Um, She has many names. Claire, Hyacinth, Mrs. Kirkpatrick. Mrs. Gibson. Mrs. Gibson. Pick one you want. Yeah, yeah. Should we call her Claire? Or should we call her Hyacinth? Mrs. Gibson. Mrs. Gibson? Okay, we're going to call her Mrs. Gibson for right now, guys. So, um, yeah, he marries this chick molly is not happy about it although she is excited
0: because mrs gibson has a daughter who's like off in front
1: yeah and she's like okay this is cool i can like have a friend so that's good don't have any ladies living in the house with me so that'll be a nice change but she's pretty distraught um about this big change in her life Mm -hmm. and um at one particular moment when she's sobbing her eyes out A gentleman comes upon her in the woods and sees her crying and he's like, oh, dear. And this is Roger Hamley, the son of uh, our invalid and our squire. And you guys, you guys, not the heir. No, second son. Second son. But this is our this is our love match, guys. Uh, True love. These two. These two. But, um, of course, they, you know, they start off like friends. They start off like brother and sister. They start really. off,
0: Not only, yeah, they start off as friends. And then it's like, hey, you know what's even harder to come back from? Family. <laughs>
1: yes. True story. Talk about the friend zone. Mm-mm. Adopt. Them. Friend zone. But, you know, you can see this coming a mile away. Like, I was really dreading Cynthia's arrival. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, no, this is not going to be good. Because you knew Claire's, Claire, Mrs. Gibson, she's not she's not great. And I was like, there's no way that the daughter's great. Cynthia arrives and it's trouble. And Roger has a thing for Cynthia. So we got a love triangle going on here. But we kind of also add in the other son. He's like an unknown quantity, right? Because Molly kind of like has heard all these great things about Osborne, Hamley she kind of is like attracted to him in her mind. She's He's like a created poet. this person. He's he a poet. She loves reading. She's...
0: He loves reading.
1: She loves reading too. We talk about characters that love reading in books. Molly is a character that loves reading.
0: Yeah. If anyone else is like, I'm Elizabeth Bennett because I love to read. I'm going to throw wives and daughters at them and say, this is a character who loves to read,
1: mm-hmm.
0: read about it and then come back and tell me you're Elizabeth Bennett because she loves reading.
1: And she's reading constantly and she's reading everything. 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 All over the place. Nonfiction. Science. She's really like bonding with Roger over this love of science, which is like a big old theme in this book. So, yeah, we're only going up to chapter 30. Okay, because we don't want to give too much away here. So, Cynthia has a. She has some secrets. Everyone has secrets, basically, in this book. That's what's Mm -hmm. happening. Everyone's got these little secrets. And Molly's like this little detective. And she's kind of like just keeping an eye on everyone and watching everyone. And you know at this point in the book, this gentleman called Mr. Preston has come into play. And he's kind of like pursuing Cynthia. He's kind of like always lurking. Aggressive. And aggressively lurking and something something's going on with this mr preston
0: cynthia's got a secret thing with mr preston osborne the heir turns out he's got a secret wife that his dad yes. squire hamley doesn't know about mrs hamley dies mrs gibson is a bitch lady harriet yeah. is funny um and then molly keeps like just being pushed from pillar to post and uh doesn't like a stepmom. yeah
1: Seems and if that right. didn't
0: make any sense to you it probably means you didn't read the first 30 chapters of this book. And none of this episode will make sense to you. So this is a great place to pause it and then go and read it.
1: Go read the book. And um, can I say, if you don't have time to read it, you can listen to it for free on LibriVox, or you can buy a version um, on Audible. I actually accidentally picked up the version that is read by Penelope Wilton, who plays... um, Mrs. Hamley in the adaptation. Wonderful actress. It's an abridged version. It's only six hours oh of audio. Goodness. But I just say um, it's a very good, it's a very good. Uh, yeah, if you want like the a good book. snappy condensed yes. version. Okay. I highly recommend. So shall we get into the characters? Because I think actually maybe talking about the characters will help us get into the story more.
0: Yes. Let's do yeah. it so um molly we're growing up with molly we start with molly when she's very young um she's about 16 and three quarters when we catch back up with her after the time jump when she's a young woman and she's kind of described as like she's not she's like a pretty-ish child she's not mm-hmm. like the most beautiful girl in the world and then there's this like a reoccurring theme where she kind of sometimes looks at herself and she's like hot or not not yeah you not know sure. and she's yeah. not as mm-hmm. hot as her stepsister cynthia and she's um, a lot more, she's like a reserved young woman. Uh, she's very intelligent.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: She, is, she's, she is quiet, but then she, she's got this temper that kind of flares up and she I isn't- I love that about her. Yeah, like, I really like it about her. She takes she takes a lot on. Um, yeah. I think she kind of, she's very resilient. She reminds me a lot of Fanny and um, Anne Elliot in a lot of ways, but then mm-hmm. she has these moments of spikiness yeah, where she kind of like really comes comes out, and she's very brave. Uh, mm-hmm. She's got a lot, a lot of Betty Vanderpool in her. She's like a great kind of amalgamation of a lot of heroines. Like you recognize a lot of people in Molly, and yeah. um, she has this wonderfully like fairy tale relationship with her father, uh, like the beginning of Cinderella. You know, like yeah. very close. They dote on each other, and then um, the stepmom comes in. And I've pulled out this quote, which I think. For me, at least, I thought it was just really lovely. So um, after Mr. Gibson comes to pick her up from this when she's 12, from this house party that she's accidentally stuck at, she says, I felt like a lighted candle when they're putting the extinguisher on it. Oh, should I do a Scottish accent? I'm not going to.
1: Oh, can you? Try it. Did you? It's <laughs> <Is that good? laughs> Great.
0: <laughs> Wait, <clears throat> Scotland, Scotland how how do you not know no. okay did you how how do you know what the candle feels oh i don't know but i did maybe i i found that really charming um i think, I think the, it's good. the early conversations between them um, they're really funny they're sweet and then i think because there's so much of this kind of like playful conversation where he is kind of pushing back and she gives as good as she gets then when the book puts that divide in when Mrs. Gibson's on the scene and they're not spending that time together. And then you get these brief moments of it. You really yeah. miss it. And it's, you it's really such do. a fantastic way of getting across that that gap that they
1: can't bridge. It's really good. Um, and I like that, you know, with a book like this, you have 60 chapters, you have a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So you do have that that relationship absent for a long period of time. And then there's there's a scene later on in the book where they meet on the staircase and they just haven't had... Oh, Time together for so long, and you really feel it. Like, I got a real pang when they just started, yeah, sort really of like sad. that banter kind of came back, and then you're like, oh, no, this this relationship's forever changed.
0: Gaskell describes that early relationship as the two had the most delightful intercourse together, half banter, half seriousness, but altogether confidential friendship. Yeah. You better believe I was like, banter? Yes.
1: Got some I'm banter there. going on.
0: I'm there for the banter.
1: Mm hmm.
0: Lauren, were you getting a uh, North and South vibes from Molly's little handshake? Oh, that was a good note. And Molly's the perfect vehicle for this, right? Because, yes. and we'll get into this in a minute, but Dr. Gibson, uh, he makes a point of being like, I don't want her to be super educated. I don't want her to be this like la-di-da lady, trust up, uh, going to a finishing school and then going off and getting married. He wants like an honest little girl, Molly. But then mm-hmm. just through circumstance and kind of coincidence, she's getting thrown in the path of ladies and squires and people who are above her station because of his position as a doctor and she's right. always kind of on the back foot and it's mm-hmm. other people who are dictating to her how she should be behaving and she's right. intimate with people that in terms of rank she shouldn't be intimate with and then how do you yeah how do you navigate those situations and i think it's right like that's this as much as anything this is a book again about class which is like a very austen topic and it's handled very well and you get like lots of different points of views and people who are acting above their station and people who are of a higher rank kind of acting below their station and Molly's right. the eyes that often we see that through
1: so um esther had a great comment on molly's character uh, molly is you know someone that really will defend her friends so she said shout out to molly for defending the miss brownings to lady harriet The ways she says, I'd rather not have you visit if you're going to be rude behind their backs. Um, And then just like continues to like display balls and like all these situations. She she doesn't care about calling out people who are her her betters.
0: Yeah, exactly. Here she is saying to a lady, actually, you're being disrespectful to people who are much lower in rank than you. And I'm lower Mm -hmm. in rank
1: than you, but I don't want to be around it. She's quite good at like setting boundaries and like sticking up for herself. She's not a pushover. I really, really like that about her because i'm actually not usually drawn to a character that's just so simple and good and just has i think i wrote in my notes has strong moral code but not boring
0: yeah and i think trudy on the facebook group said um and this was a great point that molly proves that being committed to kindness takes courage Uh, anyone can gossip behind others backs but only the bold stand up for others when it isn't socially convenient to do so and I think that is such a, a good note on Molly is like she is passive in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. She takes a lot of flack from her stepmother and just kind of takes it all in and takes it all in. But it's usually on other people's de- behalf that she really rallies. Right. It's never for her own gain or her own benefit. And that sets her apart from a lot of the characters in this book.
1: Great gal. Love Great gal. love Molly. Should we, we talk Daddy Gibson? Let's talk daddy Gibson. I have a lot to say about him.
0: (laughs) Okay. So I'll, I want to just say, first of all, daddy Gibson is my problematic literary dad crush. Now.
1: I don't think he's super problematic, but he's got some things. At the start
0: of the book, you're like, am I allowed to, to like him? There's this quote of, um, so basically this is Dr. Gibson on education and he's talking to her governess. Don't teach Molly too much. She must sew and read and write and do her sums, but I want to keep her a child, and if I find more learning desirable for her, I'll see about giving it to her myself. After all, I'm not sure that reading or writing is necessary. Many a good woman gets married with only a cross instead of her name. It's rather a diluting of mother wit to my fancy, but however, we must yield to the prejudices of society, Miss Eyre, and so you may teach the child to read.
1: Hmm. yeah well yeah he's got some stuff going on here um also <laughs> shout out to uh miss Eyre, which is definitely a tribute to jane Eyre and friend charlotte bronte in there um i yeah this was an interesting discussion on our facebook group actually because um it just happened so early it happened so early um it's also a time jump it's before the time jump. It's kind of interesting. It, it brought me back to Eight Cousins. Um, yeah. Who said it in... Okay, so Tanya said this in our Facebook group. I thought Mr. Gibson's reasoning behind not teaching his daughter too much was interesting. I'm not sure that the reading or writing is necessary. It's rather diluting of the mother wit. So they were worried that if a woman filled her head with too much other stuff, her natural mother instincts would get pushed out or weakened. Mm-hmm. Um and then there was also, like, a discussion, too, as to, like, whether or not this was Gaskell's view as well, uh, as far as education went. And I think Gaskell does have, like, there are other bits in the book where she talks about, like, appropriate education for your station, mm-hmm. such as uh, in the beginning, like, with servants and whatnot,
0: And this isn't just this book, like, cast your mind back to North and South, Mr Bell goes on this whole thing, he's disagreeing with uh, schools in rural villages, because he thinks it's taking children away from learning vocational skills that they can actually use, rather than giving them names of countries that they're never going to visit, and probably won't come up in conversation, because you've got this, um, is it Victorian at this stage? yes this victorian thing of like bettering those below you and so giving an education mm-hmm. that you might receive and that you might have to people who really uh don't need it um or you know in in the sense that they're like what are they going to do with it because you say right. okay, social mobility isn't a thing in the same way so it's not like if you give someone an education they'll be able to like rise out of the mire It's stay in the mire with this atlas that I've given you. Enjoy.
1: And that's where I felt like Mr. Gibson was coming from this place. Well, I think it's two things in his case. Like, I think on one hand, he's like, I want her to be like, have a very practical education for what a doctor's daughter should have. Like, she's not a lady. Mm -hmm. She's not, you know, like she has a very particular station, but I also do think he's coming from this very, um, like, I want to keep, my little girl little girl and so it's i don't think it's what gaskell's saying too i think i think a lot of people were like oh does gaskell have weird views on women in education unitarians were actually quite forward-thinking in this regard and her daughters are very educated women
0: and, and also looking does, at
1: the character of Molly, like what does this do? Like him, kind of, like she wants to learn. Like I think, yeah, it's, she
0: she pushes back against it, and almost yeah. um, The next line after that quote is that after some fighting on Molly's part, she does get to learn French, and she does get to learn, um, yes. how to draw. Which again, like, are those super practical? No, but that's going to kind of put her in line with other young women of yes. her age, and really, that's the thing that I think. Dr. Gibson is overlooking. It's just that in terms of, well, it is putting Molly on a back foot. Although she might not need these these skills in his mind for what she's going to do, it is then going to mean that people will talk to her differently, they'll treat her differently, they'll yeah. kind of, it will be look, there goes the uneducated Molly Gibson. Right, And she pushes back against that.
1: What also sort of is like the book overall deals with this, like people sort of knowing their place or slightly moving out of their place mm-hmm. or moving forward or moving ahead in just old ways, like slightly, slightly changing. Not a huge shift, but like these gradual changes in like class and education that the parents aren't quite, they're on, they're not on the same foot, right? Every, like all the kids are moving forward in different ways.
0: Yeah. And they're kind of like leaving, leaving the parents behind. Um, yes. Yeah. So like Mr. Gibson doesn't want Molly to be super educated. Um, and he's like holding on to her childhood. And yeah, it's her yes. education that people comment on. And yeah. in a lot of ways, uh, Cynthia is like her mother, but then she's much kinder and more human yeah. than her mother in a lot of ways. And actually is probably going to achieve much better things than her mother was because she's a lot less focused on it. She's like a lot more independent. Yeah, because of totally. Because of how Mrs. Gibson treats her. And then look at Roger, you know, uh, Roger was meant to be the second son, not achieve much because he's very slow. off he goes being hailed a uh, scientific whiz Osborne yeah. meant to achieve loads of stuff uh black sheep kind of by, by old
1: yeah by old standards yeah, really so, so yeah, no, I think this is I think for our, in this case, it's very much um a comment on parenting on like you know he doesn't outright like forbid all the all of these things but Molly really pushes back on them. It's like, oh, like, look at this sort of gentle rebellion of this daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, Dr. Gibson can't really con- control her. It's not that she's out of control, but things like, you know, he finds her a mother. He's like, here's a mother. Here, I've put a mother figure in place for you. Like, that fixes she, it. like I she pers- rejects that. And she rejects it. Yeah. And the mother figure that she does adopt, Mrs. Um, Hamley, like, that was never supposed to happen. There's just, like, mm-hmm. these little things that are out of our control as parents that we can't we can't fix. I think is essentially like where she's going with this theme.
0: Now, speaking of Dr. Gibson getting married and the mother figure, um, his relationship with Claire is very interesting uh, because for the first 30 chapters, it goes very quickly from, um, he doesn't quite recall her. There's a moment when he Mm -hmm. meets Lady Cumnor and she's like, oh, you know, Claire's here. And I'd written a comment next to it saying, oh, Claire, he seems perplexed by that. And I thought, yeah. oh, this is someone that he knew before. He's in love with her. This is like an old flame coming back. And then when I was rereading my notes, and that doesn't, that's never revealed. It's because of the the use of the maiden name. And he's yeah. like, who is that? And again, so etiquette coming into play. Who's Claire? He never would have called her Claire. He would have called her, um, what was her maiden name? Mrs. Kirk. Patrick, or no, that's, her married, no, that's her married
1: name yeah So
0: he knew that she he knew that this um governess of theirs uh had gotten married and so in his mind she was mrs kirkpatrick and then here you go someone's there calling him claire so it's like a red herring for me yeah. um and then kind of where we leave him uh at the end of these 30 chapters he's kind of slowly warming up to the the situation he's got himself in here he is married to a woman who isn't a good example she isn't kind of fulfilling that role that he thought she was going to looking after his house taking care of his child. Um mm-hmm. but he doesn't quite want to like he quite doesn't want to own it, does he? he doesn't want like He doesn't want to acknowledge it. Eye.
1: Him and Roger over the course of this book don't want to acknowledge certain feelings. Mm-hmm. Or look problems directly in the eye. Which and, uh, I find very interesting. It's it's great the way that Gaskell portrays that, I have to say. Like cuz it's not like they're really sidestepping it but they're just they're just slightly looking over here
0: (laughs) and even in the narration we've got um he would not allow himself to become more aware of her faults and foibles by defining them at any rate she was harmless and wonderfully just to molly for a stepmother so that's not you know that's the narrator here kind of laying out she's got flaws and she's got faults and then immediately saying but 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 you know she doesn't she doesn't mean any harm like nothing bad yeah, really yeah. happening. and for a stepmom like it could be worse right yeah and i think again
1: i think really key there in this book is but nothing bad is really happening mm-hmm. and um it's funny like i was trying to explain this book to my husband like why certain characters are really getting under my skin and he's just like but nothing like explosive has happened <laughs> and i'm like no it's just more about being like no one's being proactive and actually like addressing problems or things that be- could become potential problems. It's more like these little things that are building, building, building. But
0: that's what you need because then in the yes. second half, it it just the pace just changes, yes, like dramatically. Um, and it you really kind of need this. There are two chapters. Uh, I. I was telling Lauren this earlier I cannot stand chapter three and four thought they were really boring <laughs> and expositiony and it was kind of did what we have tried to not do with this episode where it just it wants to introduce the whole life story of Hollingford and these yeah. characters all at once and then I'm just like hey I can I'm like Gaskell I can keep pace with you we can go toe to toe like just tell me yeah. a story and I'll I'll catch up and um, yeah and so, but on the whole, the first 30 chapters are kind of doing that so that when all of the intrigue and those secrets that the groundwork is laid for in these 30 chapters, when that comes out, it is, it is explosive. And you are like, it is.
1: Oh! it's like by that time too, you really know these people and their personalities. And so mm-hmm. you're just like, okay, how is this person going to react to this? How, what's going to happen? Here? Like you really are just, it's like, you're talking about your friends. It has yeah. a Real Housewives of Cheshire quality to it. I'm sorry guys, but it does.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Speaking of real housewives, Mm -hmm. Claire, Claire. Mrs. Kirkpatrick, Mrs. Gibson, dare I say, Lady Susan?
1: Definitely has some Lady Susan qualities. I think there's, so I really enjoy Lady Susan Mm -hmm. because um, she has like a motivation and a purpose. And one of the things that Claire, like, Claire doesn't have a purpose she
0: does her purpose is to do sweet fuck all (laughs) (laughs) right she's like like, i need to get to the point where i don't have to get to the point
1: like she doesn't like drive a plot but like she thinks she does Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is so real and frustrating she's like that
0: But definitely within the first week of the read-along in the comments on Facebook, it was like Claire was driving it. Now, it it isn't often in fiction that we get the point of view. And just off the top of my head, I'm thinking um, we've got Mrs. Gibson, we've got Lady Susan, and then we've probably got... um, I've completely forgotten the name of the woman from Vanity Fair.
1: Oh, Becky? Becky Sharp. Becky Sharp. Mm -hmm. Right?
0: So we've got these women who... they. Mm -hmm. They know what they want, or at least they know the lifestyle they want. And there are certain things that they're willing to do. And then you read it and you can see them doing it. And you can see them like, I'm like, maybe they've got these, I think redeeming features is like a hard word. Because I don't know that they are redeemed. But these qualities that you're like, this is a good read. Like, I'm enjoying this book. Yeah, I'm enjoying
1: watching you scheme and plot. mm -hmm. But like, Claire, like, doesn't. Like she does a little bit, but just like, she's just not great at it. And you're just like, Exactly, Claire. she's
0: not great at scheming. So it's it's funny, but also yeah, really so painful. It's,
1: it's like funny and annoying. And it's just, it's like really spot on. So this is, um, you say that
0: obviously she doesn't have a purpose. There's a great quote where she's kind of thinking to herself and she goes, I wonder if I'm going to live my life toiling and moiling for money. It's not natural. Marriage is the natural thing. Then the husband has all that kind of dirty work to do. And his wife sits in the drawing room like a lady. Mm -hmm. So she thinks that she's going to get, so she's been working as um, a school teacher. She was a governess. She got married. She thought that was the end of it. Husband dies and life is even harder for her as Mm -hmm. a widow than before. And she's like really had to scrimp and save. And like, it's been hard. Yeah. But she's also incredibly selfish and she hasn't taken right. care of her daughter from her first marriage uh, as well as she should have. And she's very uh, vain and she's aspiring to a lifestyle that is out of her reach and is of yes. a station of like above her. So she's got this idea that she's going to get married to this country doctor and then she's just going to sit in her room and kind
1: of be petted and seen to. Yes. Although like when the he's case. been, it's not the case because it's like, you know, she thinks she's you never deserted. win. You never went yeah, exactly. She thinks she deserves it. But Claire, like you never like reach the peak of a mountain. Like there's always another scheme. There's always mm-hmm. something else. There's always another reason to be unhappy, which you are an ultimately an unhappy person. Um But then there's this thing that Gaskell does that I think
0: Austin doesn't do, where we do get like she's much more um three-dimensional than I think this character yes. would have been in an Austin novel. Because we mm-hmm. get these like little throwaway lines. And there's only like maybe like less than 10 of them throughout the whole book, right? But then you've got and you're like, oh Claire, come on. Um it was very much to her credit that she preferred clearing herself from debt to purchasing wedding finery. And then uh, another line later, whatever other faults might arise from her superficial and flimsy character, she was always uneasy till she was out of debt. And there's a point yeah. where um Like she really, there are a few points where she she does mean well by Molly in certain situations. It's just that when what she wants outweighs that, she'll go with what she wants.
1: Yes. And it's also like her motivations. So it's, it's very hard to, like really all out vilify her. Like, okay, so for instance, um, one of the things that she does that really got under my skin was um, that she decided to redo the room for her daughter and for Molly Mm -hmm. uh, when Cynthia was, you know, coming to live with them. And Molly doesn't want her room, like, redone. She doesn't want new furniture. All that furniture was her mother's furniture. Like, she's like, just let it alone. But Claire's like, no, I have to do it because... She's, everyone will talk about me and everyone will say like, you're not doing right by your stepdaughter. Like you're giving all the new not things not to your, what? She's not wrong. She's not wrong. She exactly. I'm like, Ooh, she's it's not hard. wrong. Yeah. It's hard. Minute That's hard.
0: You and you're like, stop doing it. Yeah. And then the minute she says, what would people say? Yeah. And then later, you know, like later on, spoiler alert, people do start saying to her, you're not, you know, Like it comes up, you're not treating this girl like you should be. And they don't, they're not even, they're not even hitting the nail on the head in the ways that she's doing it because it's basically, she's doing all of these things that she shouldn't be doing for Cynthia. She wants to treat Molly like a child that she doesn't treat well or treat Mm -hmm. properly. And she's, everything is superficial. So it's like, I want Cynthia to have a beautiful room, which means Molly. And like, that is to her credit that she wants Molly to have the same as Cynthia, even if it is that people aren't going to gossip. She doesn't want people to like think that Molly's been treating badly. She doesn't bear Molly any ill will really. She just wants Molly right. and Cynthia to be treated the same. And then for Cynthia to be a little bit more popular cause she's hot and to marry yeah. better. But like yeah. on a base level, she wants them to be kind of on an, uh, an even playing field. And she does- She wants does... it definitely
1: to, to look that way for sure. It's very hard cause it's very slippery, right? Yeah, like you're like, oh, I can't like it's not perfect, right? It's not perfect motivation. But you're like, "Uh, I get it. I get it.
0: (laughs) And both it works both ways as well. Because when you find something that you really think you can pin her down on and say, this is you doing something awful. You're like, Mm -hmm. and here's a justification for it. And here's a reason. And here's a not even like this is a good excuse for it. But this is why that character thinks this is a reasonable excuse. And then when she does something good, and you're like, this is a moment of kindness, she either retracts it or you realize that it wasn't kindness at all and that it was part of a half-baked scheme. Yes. She's the
1: Caroline Calloway of this novel. (laughs) (laughs) The schemes are just so half-baked. That's the problem Mm -hmm. with with Claire for me. Um, What I do love about Claire's character, the way that uh, Gaskell writes her, I love the um, using Claire, Mrs. Kirkpatrick, Mrs. Gibson, almost inter- like just it's all over the place. Like sometimes I'll stop myself and go
0: with.
1: Yeah, it depends on who she's with. Oh, she's Hyacinth now. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I forgot her name was Hyacinth. She's like a slippery character. You can't really like nail her down. It's I mean, again, it's like going back to Dr. Gibson's like feelings on her, like not perfect, but I just uh, I don't really... <laughs> And
0: there's this whole point where people are saying um in the comments you know why would you marry someone who you don't know the first name of but like that's mm-hmm. that's it isn't it like you you will never know claire yeah. hyacinth gibson mrs kirkpatrick two little two little mrs gibson things before we go on to listener comments one she hates cheese she yeah. cannot abide it and that's one of the class things in this book and I, I keep saying it to people who haven't been reading it and They'll go, what do you want for lunch? And I'll go, anything but cheese. Am I right? And uh, they don't <laughs> appreciate the joke. So that's been going really well. Um, oh, and good. then I think one of my favourite lines from this whole novel was, her words were always like ready-made clothes and never fitted
1: individual thoughts. I mean, tells you everything you need to know about that mm-hmm. character.
0: So, listener comments. Um, Trudy, I loved this description of Claire Hyacinth, uh, all of the names. She lives to be seen, admired, accepted. It's a pitiful, shallow life. So we'll talk about Cynthia now, but definitely, again, a character who I go back and forth on and then I question my yeah. own biases and yeah. the my own faults. And like, you know, you've got that thing where you dislike people who have the traits that you wish you have. And I, I wonder if some of my strong reactions against Cynthia, who I think I like and loathe in equal amounts, You know, Mm -hmm. I think I wonder if that's where it's coming from, you know, like Mm -hmm. this jealousy, like Cynthia makes me jealous. So I've got a few great Cynthia quotes. There are so many, it's really hard to pick them. Uh, And a lot of them do come down to her sexuality and Mm -hmm. her sensuality, the way she is with men, the way she is with women, like the allure of her, her character. And I think it's to her detriment that this is how people perceive her because it makes it very hard for her Form relationships that are on an equal footing how the amount of regard that she has for a person is very rarely reflected right you know it's totally that's why
1: she actually to my surprise like has such a great relationship with molly really Mm -hmm. um and why she i mean i do believe her when she says that like molly is the only person that she really loves and like gets and and understands like i do think she yeah like i think yeah that she's like okay here are some honest people that actually like see me for me
0: Mm-hmm. So um, to describe Cynthia, a schoolgirl may be found in every school who attracts and influences all the others, not by her virtue, nor her beauty, nor her sweetness, nor her cleverness, but by something that can neither be described nor reasoned upon. A woman will have this charm, not only over men, but over her own sex. It cannot be defined, or rather, it is so delicate a mixture of many gifts and qualities that it is impossible to decide the virtue of each. I think later on, um, because definitely in the next set of chapters that we'll discuss, I think there's a lot of Cynthia's behaviour that she'll come under fire for. Uh, so there is this other quote, which I think is foreshadowing to a lot of the plot stuff that will happen in the second set of chapters. But basically, Molly is watching her with Osborne, and she's like, oh, I mean, she's not. She isn't flirting. She's just quiet, right? She's passive and she listens. She's much, it makes the point of saying that she's much quieter with men than women. And then Mm -hmm. actually, when you think about a lot of the characters um, in novels, and be honest, a lot of men, I'm not saying, hashtag not all men, okay? Don't at me. (laughs) But, Uh -uh. um, you know, like, these men can talk to her. They see her as the empty vessel that you always talk about, Laurie. Like, here is a woman who will sit and listen and admire and appreciate and um, who isn't trying to talk over them and but she, and she's not shy so then right. it's like how much of how much of the situations that she's getting in are because she can't she can't help being good at listening right right and there are things that she can help but there is a base level of men just wanting to see what they want to see that she's going to struggle to overcome
1: mm-hmm I think this is a very good point. This is actually something. Well, I have a lot to say on in the next set of chapters. Yeah,
0: yeah, we'll definitely talk about it more um,
1: when it becomes more of an action. But yeah, it's very hard with Cynthia. It's very hard, and I also like. Ooh, I know some Cynthias. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> because you see where it's coming from too. Like she, I mean, she even says it. Like she grew up like away from her mother. She's had to like fend for herself. And that's really affected her communication style, right? Like I, you know, she has to listen to people and like sort of adapt to them. So as as a protection method, honestly. Um, And and being liked is important to her as it is to to her detriment. Mm -hmm. And it's to her detriment.
0: More so than her mother's. Like she feels it far more keenly, but that's because she's smarter and she is way more aware of people not admiring her. Yes. Um, And there are some amazing kind of like fiery, like you want to print them up on your wall quotes uh, from Mm -hmm. Cynthia as well. I know Lauren, your favorite or one that you pulled out on the Instagram. uh,
1: Love me as I am. Sweet one for I shall never be better. Yeah. This is a woman that really knows herself. So she does feel a lot older than Molly. Yeah. She's lived on her own. Yeah. She can, you know, she can flirt, she can talk, she knows herself. Um, but she doesn't have that like strong, like that that like courage that Mo- Molly does. It's really yeah, really she, in contrast.
0: She admits that as well, and I think is mm-hmm. I, I really liked the quote. Perhaps I might be a heroine still, but I shall never
1: be a good woman. I know. Yeah, and
0: I think Molly questions. She's like, "Well, can't you can't you be both?" And she's like, "Look at history."
1: I think she looks at Molly too, and she's like, "That's a good woman." So I mm-hmm. do think Cynthia has this quality where she can look at people and she goes. That's a good quality person, like I. But she can. I wish I could be more like that. She can
0: recognize good quality people, but she's she doesn't have the faith in herself to think that she can live up to it. Yes, and so she correct. doesn't try. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's
1: frustrating. She's yeah. frustrating in the same way that Claire is. Like it's like half baked.
0: Yeah, definitely. Shall we talk about the Hamleys? The what's really funny is this book at the start. It sets up and. Um, Roger as not being like his dad right or rather oh, he's not bit. the favorite yeah. and then you read it and you're just like oh you yeah, know he's like his dad he's he's yeah. not like his dad and that's part of the problem isn't yeah. it one they share each other's names and then two the squire has this self-hate thing going on mm-hmm. so what he likes about Osborne is that Osborne isn't like him and so he thinks he's going right. to achieve all of these great things and he really struggles to see Roger's policies because Roger is too similar
1: the squire really loves his wife. It's very sweet. It's very endearing. Um, his wife couldn't be more different to him, right? She's a fine lady. She likes, you know, the theater and arts and poetry. Mm-hmm. He is an out, like a clumsy, hot-tempered outdoorsman. And Osborne, his eldest son, is just like his wife. Um, and then, yeah, like just like you said, Roger is just like him. And he's like, oh God, this guy. He what says, are we gonna do with this guy?
0: He um he describes to me goes. Now Roger is like me, a Hamley of Hamley, and no one who sees him in the street will ever think that red, brown, big-boned, clumsy chap is of gentle blood. Yeah, and it doesn't doesn't it remind you of like Mount Dunstan and this whole the perception of um, gentility and like what it is to what it is to be a gentleman and how. You know, we've said it before, this, this family is as old as they come and people, but people will look at them and they'll be like, they're nothing.
1: Yeah. yeah no especially poly. in like this society too, where everything's sort of on the move and things are changing and it's like mm-hmm. very slippery. It's like not, imp- it's important to like not only have the name to back it up, but also to look the part and Osborne looks the part.
0: Osborne looks the part, but then Roger really starts to surprise people.
1: Because oh he yeah
0: he's the one that comes back and he's a fellow and he's the is it the first wrangler i don't really know what this wrangler person does <laughs> i meant to look it up and i didn't i thought it's like a fishing thing or like a hunting thing <gasps> so i was like oh he's in charge of like grouse shooting interesting um <laughs> and then it was like to do with college and i was like oh okay no i'm completely lost but he's got these smarts and the other thing that's nice about Roger is because he hasn't been petted and praised and pampered like his brother Osborne, that he's there's a goodness about him and a patience yeah. about him. And he, he could have turned out very bitter and resentful and angry and clutching and just trying to get mm-hmm. what, you know, he gets less money than his brother. He gets a smaller yeah. allowance, like everything. He's the second son in every single way. And he is put down in every single way. And he, he takes it all on the chin and he is so nice.
1: Yeah, he is. Well, you know what is great, though? The relationship between these two guys, because they also are not competitive with each other. They do love and respect each other for who the other person is. Yeah. They're very different from their parents. They like their parents want to sort of pit them against each other, but they reject that. And I actually really love that about their relationship.
0: Yeah, I think. Well, it's. They're they're not in competition because how could there be competition? And it's just the fact that they acknowledge it. It's like, we can't help that Osborne is the firstborn son, like just the way it's going to be. So Mm -hmm. then um, when Osborne kind of comes home in disgrace and that shift starts to happen and the squire's blaming Osborne for his mother's uh, illness and then eventual death, and then Roger's the one who's kind of having to step in and he's trying to heal the breach and those two aren't talking. You really kind of get that, Finally, people are seeing Roger's worth. And then that starts to yeah. mirror um, things that happened with Molly later on. Um, you know, this idea yeah. that you can have an expectation of someone and be disappointed. And that's happening across the board. Mm-hmm. Mr. Gibson is disappointed with his wife. We collectively are disappointed in Cynthia. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and then the characters that you think you're going to be disappointed in uh, rising up. Speaking of Osborne, Osborne's really hard because I think you're set up to not want to like him. And to think yes. that he's a brat. and I know that we had some negative uh, reactions to Osborne in the group, where people are really kind of frustrated by him. And then you're mm-hmm. getting these um, comparisons drawn between him and Claire. But there are a few lines where I think, like, there's one, and he says, "I'm as ready as any man to earn my living. Only the preparation for any profession will cost money, and money I haven't got." He yeah. he's been put into this position, right? He's mm-hmm. gone off uh he's been told you're really smart you're going to do really well he hasn't done really well what's the backup Mm -hmm. plan you know right there were no expectations for roger so he could do anything but osborne's path was set out for him he was going to marry well he doesn't he marries a secret wife a secret Mm -hmm. french roman catholic peasant wife who literally every box that his dad is like you can't marry this person so he's in disgrace he fails at school which he was meant to do really well and so he's kind of left and he's like what can I do and so like really like what is he meant to do and like he doesn't handle stuff as he should and he should speak up to his uh he should speak to his dad about the situation and not have the secret wife but then when you see the interactions with the squire you kind of really understand where osborne is coming from and so in one hand Mm -hmm. you want to shake him and on the other hand you just want to be like mate i will lend you five pounds join the navy
1: (laughs) yeah seriously he's like i can sell my
0: poetry and then i will take my wife to australia And it's like, don't go to Australia. He's like, you know, if that's what I've got to do, that's what I've got to do. Because you're getting so many points of views. You're like, if you just said this thing, or this this misunderstandings happened because this person has misheard this thing or, and I think it's it's playing on something that she's doing a lot in North and South. And you get like a lot of the, um, Margaret's reacting to Thornton for this reason, and he's reacting to her and they can't find the common ground. And then this is turning that up to a hundred. Mm-hmm. And you've got 10 people doing it. And then that person's talking to that person, which is, and it all starts to get really intermingled, especially with the Hamleys. Like that's where you really, really, really start to see it because yeah, the sons have the secret. They're united against the dad. The dad doesn't have a clue what's going on. He, and, and yeah, with, Os- with Osborne and the Squire, you know, they both want to talk to each other. They both want to reach out to the other person, but they're so different that they mm-hmm. can't. And where the squire gets really hot and loud and angry, Osborne gets very cool and polite. And right, you
1: so right. These are two people with like completely different communication styles. And they're like afraid of the other one almost. And
0: Mrs, Mrs. Hammond would mediate that. And like, it's it's really sad because she dies. And then for the rest of the book, you've got the squire kind of yearning for this wife that he really loved. And just knowing, acknowledging if she was here, this would not be happening. So um, Squire Hamley, my favourite character. He's um, yeah. he's flawed. He's He's got this temper. My God, do I relate to his temper? He mm-hmm. has this self-hatred, you know? He thinks that he's self-entitled in so many ways. He's a Hamley of Hamley. Mm-hmm. His family's old blood. He uh, is a racist, hates French mm-hmm. people. He and Charlotte Bronte would get on so well he'd be like hey Villette, my favorite book (laughs) wouldn't he
1: he'd love it he wouldn't
0: be able to read it he'd have to get the audiobook
1: yeah yeah he's not not
0: massively educated he has a hard time reading and that's something that comes up again and again and again and again but he's more like osborne than you would think so there is this beautiful bit and he's thinking about um The wood, people used to have um, plantations and plantations were the wood that you grew because you could sell it for lumber. Like lumber was huge trade. And Mm -hmm. there's a line that says, he loved the trees he had played under as a boy as if they were living creatures. And that was on the romantic side of his nature. So he spends all of this time thinking that Osborne is like this alien. Where did he come from? But Osborne's a poet, you know? Osborne has this softer side that Squire does have. he doesn't have the words to put it into
1: yeah yeah and he kind of sort of like he resents the education that he has given them to yeah it's like he doesn't recognize that he's also pushed them forward on this path yeah and also sort of like resents this Cambridge the Cambridge man that Osborne is right that who is that man Mm mm-hmm I created that man. That like that never like happens. And him. certainly
0: in this first half of the chapter, there's so much of this stuff that comes up in the next set. But in this first half, it kind of comes to a head when he encounters Mr. Preston. And again, all of the self-hatred. He had this project where they were going to reclaim some land. It involved a lot of labor, a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And when this scandal happened with Osborne and it was revealed that he had all of this debt, he couldn't keep paying the workers. He tried in other ways. He, you know, he gave them food, he gave them meat, he turned a blind eye while they pillaged his forest for, you know, wood for their fire, but he couldn't keep the work going. And he comes across Mr. Preston, who is doing the work that he was going to do on some adjoining land. And the man is not polite to him. He is rude. And he says it all in this kind of fancy hoity-toity way that the squire cannot keep up with, right? Mm -hmm. Because he isn't as good with his words. And he says to Mr. Preston, I wish you'd only say in plain language that you doubt my word I can't make out what you mean you use so many words and it's stuck it gets to him like if there's a way that you want to wind up Squire Hamley write a really complicated letter or just Mm -hmm. have this he just wants people to be honest and upfront and that's what his problem is with Osborne and that's his problem with Mr
1: Preston and that's why he loves Molly so much, yeah. too, yeah, when exactly. she's brought in, because that is the person that Molly is. Um, That is where we leave, like, that chapter 30 is with that fight between Mr. Preston and Squire Hamley. But what is actually really interesting in that fight, I mean, this is Gaskell giving you all points of view, right, is that she also lets you know that Mr. Preston's like, this guy's trash. Like, he thinks he's old money, and he, like, uses these men, and he doesn't even pay them real wages. Like, he was just giving them a little bit of meat. Like, he doesn't know the whole situation. Yeah but he is making a judgment that I can say that I have like a a similar judgment that I would have made probably, to be honest.
0: Mm -hmm. I don't know, man. I hate Mr. Preston. (laughs) You are right, but I'm not. I hate him. I'm not on his side. I'm not not a fan
1: of Preston. I mean, Preston is the bad lad of this book, but you you, you understand his position. I do understand his position a little bit, but he is
0: so rude from the get-go because the (laughs) squire goes up to him and he's like, hey, my dude, people uh, keep stealing my wood. And yeah. he's like, hey, well, well, I don't think they're stealing it. And he's like, are you calling me a liar? He's like, are you calling me a liar? And then, the, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, it's just put the yeah, like way boys. It, it's, sure they're both
1: very big. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shall we tackle a couple other characters real quick? No, wait, let me just, oh, please
0: let me do this quick. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. No, no worries. No worries. So, um, like Mr. Preston, the other character that he cannot get along with at all is Mrs. Gibson. Mm -hmm. Like, because she's doing exactly the same thing. She's trying to manage him. She's, like, playing with her words. She's above her station. And there's this great line. Everyone loved it. And she goes, she's trying to say... um, He goes over and he's like, hey, Molly, you've got to come, my wife's dying. And Mrs. Gibson's like, well, we kind of said we were going to a party and you know what they say, an engagement's an engagement. And he says, did I ever say an engagement was an elephant, madam? (laughs) Like You can't get me with your words because I didn't say elephant. (laughs) It's a great scene. There is a great bit about a watch that you should all read that we're going to skim past because this is a long episode, but the watch quote is beautiful.
1: Yeah. are you gonna re- are you gonna read it you want to uh-huh. read it you, you want to read,
0: read it, it? go okay. ahead okay. do it the other yeah. characters don't have many notes on um so i think this is like all you need to get uh, squire hamley really is just this paragraph about watches that watch had been given to him by his father when watches were watches long ago it had given the law to house clocks stable clocks kitchen clocks, nay, even to Hamley church clock in its day. And now in its respectable old age to be looked down upon by a little whippersnapper of a French watch, which could go in a man's waistcoat pocket instead of having to be extricated with due efforts, like a respectable watch of six and position from a fob on the waistband. (laughs) Because he's like all of these young guys, he's got Mr. Preston having a, having a go. He's got Osborne coming down late for dinner and he's just like, come Mm -hmm. on, I'm just this old watch old ways and
1: new ways mm-hmm. Mrs- which is the title of chapter 30 Mrs. Hamley she's dead She died. she's dead she's nice she likes poetry she died guys she loves Molly
0: the family fell apart Gaskell says uh, but the keystone of the family arch was gone and the stones of which it was composed began to fall apart
1: Mm-hmm. true story poor Mrs. Hamley alright
0: is it bad that we don't need to say much more about her she was lovely and then No, we've talked about kids. her.
1: Yeah, I feel like we've said some stuff about her.
0: Amy, we'll talk way more about Amy in the next set of chapters. Um, Amy mm-hmm. is the French wife, and uh, Roger's wife. No, Os- mm-hmm. Osborne's wife, the other brother, awesome. and she'll appear. We'll talk about her. Don't think that we didn't read the book. We know she's there.
1: Yeah, secret Amy. Other characters: Mister Preston. He's trouble from the very first moment that he like comes in. Is that uh? It's at the wedding.
0: Yeah, because they meet and he's like, he's just too eager to please.
1: Um, Mm -hmm. There's this
0: great bit where Gaskell's kind of describing how he keeps apologising for everything about the meal and it's all perfectly good food, but he's like, oh, I'm I'm so sorry. Um, You know, he's got that like uh, Mrs. Bennett kind of quality to him, right? Where it's just, oh, this isn't quite right. This isn't quite, usually it's better, usually it's better. And then also over complimenting and like over familiar and it really gets people's back up.
1: Well, I felt like he was also really angling for compliments with these mm-hmm. sort of like, with the dinner, with the rooms, with the like just everything. So basically, he um is the land agent, land manager. He's the land agent for the
0: communals who are the like political rivals of the Hamleys.
1: He's managing Ashcombe, um, and then later on, he starts uh managing the towers. Yeah. Uh, when the other land agent is is getting getting up in years. But um, so, yeah, he has known Claire and he has known um, Cynthia for a very long time. And um, you kind of get that right off the bat. And what I do actually really love about the introduction of Mr. Preston is when Molly goes to this wedding and she's just like thrown in to all of these characters. Right. She's thrown in with Lady Harriet, who mm-hmm. we're about to talk about. And then Mr. Preston appears and he's got all these compliments and he's just like all over everyone. And. Um, Molly, I feel like Molly almost doesn't quite know what to make of him, but it's just like other people, like other people's reactions to him are sort of informing her.
0: Yeah. I mean, Lady Harriet's got that great line where she says, I can talk to one of my father's laborers with pleasure while with a man like that underbred fop, I am all over thorns and nettles.
1: So now let's talk about Lady Harriet because like this, her interaction with Preston too, is one of the things that Set me off, Lady Harriet. In yeah, the beginning, I so loved Lady- her from the start. And you, you did you? Sure. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. sure. I wasn't sure. Well, I actually like because Preston and Harriet seem to have history. I was not sure if something was going to happen involving them. So, like immediately, these two characters come in. They've got history, and I, I really wasn't sure. I was like, okay, what's gone on between these two people? Also, Harriet's like. She immediately matches, like, latches on to Molly, right?
0: Yeah, she says, I so, like you. You are a wild creature and I want to tame you.
1: Yeah, like, hey, you're going to be my little buddy. And I was like, oh, what is Harriet going to do? I thought Harriet would be much more of an influence in this book than she is. She, is I mean, she's infant. quite an influence at the at the end. But, mm-hmm. like, in the beginning, I was like, oh, is she going to, like you know, take Molly under her wing and have Molly do evil deeds for her. I was just unclear about what Harriet's motives were. But then I didn't realize that Harriet's just like, she's chill. She's all right.
0: She's chill. She doesn't like, the thing is, she doesn't massively care about social conventions, right? In terms of, she doesn't want people to bow and scrape to her, but she doesn't want people to pretend that they are also lady whatever, Right, yeah, so she doesn't want them to be scared of her, she wants people to tell her how it is, but then when they are over familiar, she's like, No, no, no come on, like it's one thing for mm-hmm. me to condescend to you, but let's you got to keep that, and that's something that she is aware of in Claire. Um, there was some yeah. discussion about whether or not, like, she is um, aware of Claire's flaws, and I think she's maybe not aware to the extent of them because she really tries to hide them from the Cumnors, and also. Claire oh, makes a yes. point of being oh, yeah. very helpful. But certainly with Mr. Preston, she sees it, you know, straight away. And she's like, you don't get to flirt with me. I'm not like some flower girl. Like, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. I'm out of your league, so don't even try. And then with Molly, I do think she's like, I like you. I'm, g- I'm going to befriend you. But that, I, it just felt very natural for someone of her social standing who's going to get thrown into these positions. She's kind of like come along just to bestow her goodwill on the family. But like, she shouldn't really yeah. have to go to her governess's wedding. Like if she turned around, no, 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 no thanks. That she would have been perfectly within her rights to do so.
1: I mean, I kind of want to know a little bit more about Harriet's life. I mean, she's like the daughter of the Cumnors. She's just, Claire was her governess. She's described as looking older
0: than Claire as well. Like it's it's the first thing we're told about her is we meet Claire and we meet Lady Harriet and Claire is young and pretty looking and Lady Harriet looks older. And it's a really interesting twist, the comparison, because it's beauty doesn't equal virtue
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and like you've got these two women and like someone who really cares about molly by the end of it who who wants the best for her and is like great like i'm gonna do what i can to help molly out and then but doesn't have to yeah yeah. and then this other woman who is totally obliged and should be trying to help molly who's not doing enough
1: yeah harriet's pretty great i mean she's like no bullshit um she does sort of, like, latch on to Molly right away. She's like, hey, we're going to be pals. She badmouths some of, like, Molly's friends, and Molly immediately calls her out mm-hmm. on it. And then she takes it really well. Just like, oh, okay, you're right. And... um you know what? I'm going to come by and see you later. And I'm going to see them. And I'm just like this, immediately this girl was just like in her business. So I was just like, what is going on or what does she want to use Molly for? Like like, what kind of scheme does she have? But I think she's just, I mean, I'm very much like that sometimes. I'll just be like, you know what? We're going to be friends. I'm going to come over later. You did it to
0: me. I'm Molly and you're Lady Harriet. I really liked in the ball. She's just like stood there. You know, that awkward thing that happens to everyone where you are kind of like slagging someone off and then mm-hmm. either they or someone that they know is like oh hi and you're like oh shit you know
1: yeah 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 so
0: she overhears uh one of the uh i think it's mrs Goodenough, um, mrs. Goodenough at this pool yeah. and um she's like I-, I can't believe that the duchess didn't wear her diamonds and this is you know i'm so old and i've been sat up and waiting for n- and nothing and they're all really late and lady harriet's just like Ahem. oh hello <laughs> that's uh <laughs> Those are me and mine that you're talking about. And she just says to her, she um, curtsies, she lets the woman kiss her hand. And she says, I'll promise you one thing in return for your pretty speech. If ever I am a duchess, I'll come and show myself to you in all my robes. And I don't even know what that word is. Go- Googles. Yeah.
1: Googles. And then off she goes. She's going to she's gonna deck herself out. I, um... I think she means it. I think she means it. I um love the charity ball chapter. It was That's so my good. favorite chapter. It was so good. It's so good. It's um every bit of it is just like really funny. The Miss Brownings who are spinster sister duo, uh old time friends of Dr. Gibson and his late wife, and are sort of like they're almost like aunts to Molly. Um They are there and they are, like, throwing so much shade at people. It's, Mm -hmm. like, not even funny. And Mrs. Goodenough, who I think is hilarious, is pissed off. And she's just like, this is not what a duchess did in my day. And you know what? It is outrageous. It is outrageous. All these people are gathered for this big event. They're waiting on, you know, the local lord to Mm -hmm. show up with this duchess. And, like, they're waiting forever. Yeah, yeah, it's late. It is late. These people have been out all night dancing. And also, like, everyone's kind of on edge because they're waiting for the entrance because they have to, like, stop the music and, like, then they'll have to stop the dance. It'll be a big interruption. So it's it's rude. And then she shows up, this duchess, like, all dressed like a debutante. And um, she's got, like, flowers is It's not there, cute. Though. The Miss Brownings were,
0: are really interesting characters because they, um, they go toe-to-toe with um, Mrs. Gibson a lot because they've known mm-hmm. Molly a lot and uh, certainly the older sister miss browning is just like um they they come into their own again second half when it all starts kicking off they really go uh, go to battle uh, for molly and they've got all of these good intentions and then every now and then they'll get you know they'll get something wrong but miss browning again someone who really isn't scared of just saying how it is and saying to molly um you know like you're being rude or Let's, yeah. you know, calm down or just we'll say. And then Miss Phoebe, what's really good that I forgot is that Miss Phoebe's like, well, if ever I was to be encouraged to get married, it would be Mr. Yeah. Gibson. And then she's like a little bit upset that he marries.
1: Yeah. He marries and her clerk. sister's like, are you are you serious?
0: <laughs> but they're, the, they're the, these great um great sisters who mean really well. They'll do anything for the Gibsons. They, they just really love the family and... And um, it's just like, it's nice for Molly that she does have these uh, maternal figures and they don't stand on ceremony. Right. So they're mm-hmm. just like, come over and hang out. It'll be fun. We'll do some gambling. And they just like live this quiet life. And it's just, they are a delight. They're fun. And like, they, they have all of these scenes where they talk things over and you get both of their perspectives and Miss Phoebe's like a lot more, um, She's less sharp. So you've got like the kindly one and the mm-hmm, sharp yeah. one. And yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah they're, they're really good. So I'm curious now that we've kind of gone over that not every character, come on, not every mm-hmm. character, because there are so many, but a few of them, which, which character do you relate to most? Because I think I'm like, I've got like a Miss Browning, Mrs. Gibson vibe going on. I'm a wow. bossy and business bitch. <laughs>
1: But you follow through on your plans. So I, I have to give <laughs> you that, though. Thanks. <laughs> you know, if anything, we've really established that Claire is half-baked. Uh, a dash of Lady Harriet. Just a dash of Lady Harriet. I, um, hmm. I mean, you know what? I really do empathize with Osborne in the, like, sort of, like, family expectation game. Mm-hmm. Um, Lady Harriet, for sure, though, because I'm, like, always in people's business. Yes, you are.
0: Now, did you um, did you have any favourite lines?
1: There are so many, but I, I mean, we read the, the one about ready-made clothes, actually, and thoughts. That one's really a great one, I think. You have another one here that I really love as well. Oh,
0: yeah. And I'm not going to give you any context, but um, here we go. Fate is a cunning hussy. So that's it for Wives and Daughters, part one,
1: mm-hmm.
0: numero uno. Chapters one to thirty. So, if you haven't finished, try and get it finished for next week when we'll be talking about the second half of the book and shit gets
1: interesting. It does. It really gets interesting, and also um, we can talk a little bit about the adaptation as well. I got a few notes on that. Yeah,
0: because I'm gonna—I'm so excited to watch it. My step—my stepmother,
1: dun dun, dun mm.
0: uh, gave it to me at Christmas when I said I was reading it. So I'm really oh. excited. Uh, to see.
1: It's my favorite Squire Hamley. So, we've got announcements. Now, you guys know that we love, love, love Elizabeth Gaskell's house in Manchester. In fact, it is the spiritual home of the show, I'd like to say. Yeah. And we really wanted to do something nice for them this year and we have decided to uh, help them sort of rebuild their library to what it was when when the family was there. So, They are purchasing books that Julia and, you know, Margaret, uh, Elizabeth and William would have had in the library that they actually would have been reading. And one of those books, of course, is The Tenant of Wildfell Hall by our very favorite Anne Bronte. And um, yeah, so Hannah, this is really, Hannah, this was all you. You were like, let's do this. And I was like, well, oh my
0: God. I, yeah, I accidentally found this like William, uh, an original William Gaskell letter and then shared it in the Facebook group. And was like, hey, why don't we just buy this for Gaskell's house? And people were like, yeah, let's do it. And then Gaskell's house like, whoa, 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 John Ruskins is buying <laughs> it. It's very nice of you. Thank you. <laughs> but please don't buy Please don't try and buy this letter.
1: Yeah. But we're like, okay, we'll buy a book instead for the library. And they were totally on board. So we looked at the list of titles and um, obviously tenants on there. And it's very appropriate for us in the show. And uh, we found a great copy courtesy of Olsen Rare Books, uh, which is run by my very best friend and college roommate, Patrick Olsen. So, yeah, the book, very affordable. It's like $75. Um, and then we're going to add on some trans. There's some tra- transaction fees and shipping. Um, so we're raising like 120 bucks, not a huge amount to purchase this book and then, you know, ship it off to Gaskell house library where, um, the Manchester bonnets can, they can visit it. Can just touch it, say hello to it, ask it how it's doing. Um, but yeah, guys, please join us, help us raise some cash. Uh, the address for our GoFundMe is it's basically gofundme.com dot com slash bonnets at dawn. Very easy. I'm gonna put that in Facebook and um, on Twitter and all the social medias. And speaking
0: of uh, Gaskell's house, this read along and I think uh, certainly any Gaskell episodes this season uh, will be in tribute of the fantastic Nick Duffy, who sadly passed away. Um, I think at the end of last year. Yeah. Nick yeah. was a volunteer for many years. Nick was also the volunteer who told me my favorite Gaskell story, which is the Annie Swinnison portrait uh, story. So, Annie Swinnison painted the portrait of William Gaskell that. Uh, hangs in the study and uh, was the first woman to be invited to the Royal Academy of Art and it was standing in William's study that Nick told that story and he knew the house so well and I have this amazing recording of Nick uh, taking a group of us around the house and just the amount of knowledge there and passion for the subject I just you know uh, this is a man that will be truly missed by the Gaskell community, and is, uh, it's a real loss. So, yeah, we dedicate uh, this series to Nick.
1: Yes, and um, thoughts and prayers go out to his wife Diane, who also volunteers there. They volunteered as a team together there, which was so lovely. Um, Nick was a former teacher, and he started volunteering at Gaskell's house after a stroke to sort of like help rebuild. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a it's a huge loss, and we are truly sorry obviously,
0: the best thing that we can do is keep talking about Elizabeth Gaskell's work and uh, the legacy of the Gaskells. And so if you want to join in in that conversation, if you want to join in with this read along, you can find us as always online by visiting either Instagram or Twitter, Uh, we're at bonnets at dawn, you can email us bonnets at dawn at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook by searching bonnets at dawn and now go fund me to help bring some books to gaskell's house